When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You are listening to Into the Comics Cave with your host, comic book heartthrob, Grant Stoy. Hello, uh, people of Earth and fellow humans alike. It's Grant. I'm still bad at openings. I'm sorry. Uh, but I'm very excited to have uh, our guest today because he's been gracious enough to reschedule like 15 times, give or take, uh, <laughs> <laughs> due to all sorts of horrible illnesses. But still, I have a uh, writer of Damsel in Distress and Bette Noir, one of my uh, favorite Kickstarters of this past year. We have Andrew Clemson. Andrew, how are you? I'm good. Thank you very much for having me on. Oh, no problem. And uh, it also must be said that now you are dealing with sick family members. Yeah, I don't, I don't think anything's serious. I think it's just one of the, the, many, uh, the many bugs they get from school. They just run around in the classroom looking everything, I think, and it comes back. So I've, I've got, what, probably a 48-hour countdown until I get it as well. <laughs> so it's good. You can't reschedule again. <laughs> don't you love that ticking time bomb of kids' illnesses? Sometimes you avoid it, and it's always the, the the best thing about it is you don't know whether you had it first or whether you're just waiting for the next thing. So there's a constant like leapfrogging of of uh, you know school illnesses going around. <laughs> but hopefully, I've had this one. Yeah, and before you know, it, you're just trading it around like Pokemon cards. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't know what's going on anymore? Just going around licking everything, everyone. <laughs> Well, Andrew, I've got you here, and I just want to know, whereabouts did you grow up? Um, I, um, I'm from the UK, um, and we are from uh, a town called Crawley, which is uh, it's sort of two major London airports, London Heathrow, London Gatwick. Crawley is sort of the little feeder town to Gatwick Airport. So obviously everyone, um, everyone in my family is like airline in some, some shape or form, except me, I didn't want the well-paid job and the benefits. <laughs> but um, everyone else is. So um, we were there and, you know, my dad joined uh, yeah, Emirates Airline when they started that. And then we, we got flown out to Dubai. And uh, that's, where I, that's where I spent the rest of my sort of formative uh, years, was, uh, was here. And, uh, and now I'm back because it's a <laughs> bit like... Uh, the best way I can describe it is kind of like that that uh, that Godfather line where they you know you, you get out and they find a way to drag you back in and that's this sort of town you know you know the rest of the world and you always find yourself dragged back over for one reason or another. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a great town. It's a it's a fantastic town to be in, especially especially at the minute. You know we can 
we were, uh, were able to pretty much do whatever we want. You know, there were, there were rules in place, and it's you know it's safe with everything that's going on and everything. So, so yeah, good town. Yeah, and you say you're from years. I'm wondering, like, what about uh, in Dubai? Were you doing that that made uh, an impression on you? Um, not a lot it, at the minute. It, obviously, everyone thinks of it now, and it's all futuristic, right? And you know, it's mm -hmm. kind of like this sort of Blade Runner thing in the desert, and there's you know they are they, you know, money is a wonderful thing, so you can invest in a lot of cool stuff, right? But back in the day, it was literally just like a little place in the middle of the desert. So, um, you know, it just you get up to all the sort of uh, teenage hijinks you can get up to uh, everywhere else. But with um, it's just a bit harder to get get some booze if you want it <laughs> back in the day. But um, but no, yeah. I mean, I, I uh, it, it, it was a great place to grow up. As um, you know, my my class at school, uh, high school, I think there were like, I want to say like twelve or thirteen kids in it, and um, everyone was from a different country. So it's it's that, and it's the same. My son is at school now, and it's literally everyone in the class is from a different place. So it's a it's a great place to grow up, at least when you know from my experience. That's such an interesting, uh, interesting thing. That's such a, a melting pot of diversity, like in such a small classroom. Yeah, I mean, now it's a bigger place now. I think that you know the population sort of boomed. Um, the the expat community and you know the people that come in to work and stuff. It's it's skyrocketed. But um, back when I was here, there was only a couple of schools, uh, and there was you know there wasn't as many people, but. You know, now there's a lot more. So there's a lot more schools pop up. You have a, an American school and a British school and a you know international baccalaureate school and a blah 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 all these sort of things. So um, it's it's pretty cool. And and you know even now as an adult working, you're in, meeting people from all different kinds of you know nationalities and cultures, and it's a great place. Oh yeah, for sure. And and what kind of like media and arts were you into as a kid? Um. As a kid, it's it's going to be the boring answer, and I'm just going to say I was into comics. Like that was that was the thing. And, uh. Yeah, and it was the um, you know films and stuff like that. We we used to have a thriving uh, pirating industry here, like video piracy. Yeah, before yeah, yeah. My, yeah, like before because um, my dad came over before I did and did um, you know we were, me and my brother very. So he came over and did a stint on his own to test the waters and then brought the family over. And um, he came back with like, uh, just like a, a small suitcase full of like dodgy pirated VHS tapes. Um, because what they used to have here was used to go down to, uh, on, I mean, it's on the creek, I guess. So one of the soup type places. And they'd have a big shop, like, you know, sign, it's got a proper neon sign outside. It used to say Thompson Electronics, and you'd go in there, and it would be like a blockbuster video, but for pirated videos. So you'd be oh like, oh, this is the newest thing. And they'd have, like, I don't know, what, what are those? Eight by ten? Like, you know, the standard sort of printed photos you used to get from, like, uh, right. photos. They'd have a photograph they'd taken in the lobby of the, <laughs> the movie poster, and they'd, they'd stick that picture onto, like, the standard tapes you would buy in a shop and record, you know, telly, TV stuff. But it needed sort of stereotypical, you know, people coughing and there's a head popping up and down at the front of the thing and all this kind of stuff. So until, God, like, 
until I was at university and I got like a DVD of Jurassic Park, I thought it was this terrible film that was all like dark and grainy and like right. you couldn't hear things. Because that was my, I'd watched this one pirated video for like years and years and years and over and again. But, um, so we used to have that. Um, but then comics wise, um, you could get them in the shops, but it was that classic thing of like you'd get X Men 250, and then you'd get X Men 258, and then you'd get right. X Men. You know, you wouldn't get anything in a row. So I was picking up whatever I could get, and not worth anything now because they've got the supermarket sticker like stuck on the middle of the, the front Isn't of the page. And lovely. Stuff. Yeah, I mean, at the time, I I didn't care, and I, you know, those ones they're so battered from me reading them so much they were <laughs> anyway. But, um, but uh, I used to, I had a very understanding uh, nan, a grandma, um, who <clears throat> for, for Christmas used to just get me subscriptions. So what I'd do is I would get a, um, pretty much how we used to get, because we only had local TV, you know, like pre-satellite and everything. We used to get like a sort of cardboard box shipped out with a load of recorded VHSs from the UK with the sort of soap operas from my mom and all this kind of stuff. And I would get sort of six months worth of comics. Oh my so, so I'd have like five or six series that I'd been subscribed to. And I'd get them in these sort of biannual chunks. So I'd get all these, you know, West Coast Avengers and uh, X-Men and all that kind of stuff. And I'd just get a huge sort of, you know, like like sort of early binging of these these books. <laughs> but, um, but that was my thing. And obviously, because it was, it was a smaller thing, I think it was only... There's only like maybe one or two other people that used to read books, you know, comic books that I knew. But um, obviously now, even the guys, the guys I knew back then who didn't read now, obviously they've watched the films and they're all into it and all that kind of nonsense. But yeah, it was, it was, um, you had to sort of hunt for them. And I think that's something I miss now. Like I used to go back in the summer and go to like car boot sales and flea markets and stuff. And, you know, you're yeah. finding all these old books and stuff. And I think you can't really do that anymore because you know, everyone is sort of aware of the perceived value of them and stuff. But, um, you know, that, that, that was one of my favorite things growing up, just finding, you know, someone's tattoo collection and just, you know, rambling oh, through it. Best. Yeah, you're definitely right. There's something to say about that loss of the treasure hunter mentality. Like going yeah. to flea markets and going to garage sales and just when you strike gold, it means so much more. Yeah, you can't, I mean, I, 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 have, I have one of these things, I wake up in the middle of the night, you know, in a cold sweat sometimes. I remember as a kid finding just a box of old comics and I was going through them and I was never into like DC for some reason. I just never, it never, never caught the bug as much as I did with Marvel books. So I didn't really, uh, didn't really pick them up as much. You know, you're a kid, you've got a finite amount of money, you buy what you want to get. And I yeah. remember going to a, a car boot sale and there was a load of books and uh, I bought some, some, you know, to this day, worthless sort of reprint editions. They were like the um, it Marvel Tales, like some yes. reprinted Spider-Man and stuff. But mm -hmm. I picked all them and I, you know, I, I must have bought about 50 of these things, you know, just and I was, you know, super proud of myself. I remember there was a copy of that uh, Flash. I think it's Flash 123 where there's like two of them running towards them. No. And, and this was like late nineties and it was it was ten P, which I think is like fifteen cents or something. And I just think that was probably worth more than, you know, the whole box combined. Oh my gosh. Little things. But that's the fun, isn't it? You 
you know, you find those gems and, you know, buy what you're into. Well, yeah, and that's totally, like, you're buying these things to read. Like, at the time yeah. when you're a kid, you just want to, like, devour them. If the Flash yeah, isn't your exactly. thing, you're like, why would I buy that? Yeah, I've still got some of them from when I was a kid, though. You know, I very quickly got into the sort of bag, bagging and boarding and all that kind of stuff. And I go through long boxes now, and I find the... Uh, uh, can I swear on this one? <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> can, Hell yeah. Can. Fuck yeah. So I find the real piece of shit that I've, you know, early, like image books from the 90s where I've sort of <laughs> carefully slotted them in. And they've, um, you know, they're all in mint condition. And I find these Marvel books, which are now worth a fortune, but mm -hmm. I've left them loose. There's a cover missing, and I've you know, read it to death and stuff. So kids don't know what they're doing. It's a lesson. Yeah. They don't know. They haven't got a clue when it comes to valuables and collectibles. Oh, yeah. That's my lesson. And when, when did you start uh, trying your hand at writing comics? Were you a prose person first? or? Um, no. I, to this day, write um, anything, pretty much. But... Prose in particular, um, I, I've never been able to get past that stereotypical um, stage that most people get to. Where they think when I write a novel, they get about you know five to ten chapters in, and then it gets abandoned, and you move on to mm -hmm. the next thing for whatever reason. And I've probably got you know on a hard drive, you know, six or seven novels that I've you know, tried to write. But um, I think that's why the comic stuff took off because it, it it's much easier to sort of focus on it. It's a shorter format. You can you can get it done. You can finish it. You can take a break or you can move on to something else and stuff like that. And um, I think it was 2015. A friend of mine from high school over here had passed away, and I had one of those sort of bucket list things where I was like, ah, you know, shit. If I get hit by a car tomorrow, what do I want to do? And it was comics and. Um, I'd, I'd almost gone to university, weirdly, in America, this uh, Savannah uh, College of Art and Design. Yeah. I'd, I'd been over for like a tour and I met all the teachers and stuff and I, I, I ended up not doing it, um, which I always re regretted. So I thought, you know, I'll give this a hand. At that point, I wanted to be an artist. But, you know, again, like, like many things, I'd given that up and you know, <laughs> was not a passable artist, should we call it. So, um, I, I sort of threw my hand into uh, writing, uh, and the first thing I did was Bet Noir, which we started to put out. Uh, really, last year I think it was. Yeah, at the time it was. It was. Um, I thought I was Frank Miller, and I was writing, you know, the next sort of Dark Knight Returns or the next Alan Moore writing Watchmen or something. So I'd done this big sprawling epic that was going to be, you know, multiple volumes, um, and it, it. I sort of quickly got bored of that and I moved it up to another thing and I did a book called Star Bastard which was a sort of parody of 90s machismo sort of space books um, and that sort of took off and that was my that was my foot in the door and after that um, I met some some people in you know in the writing scene in the UK and uh, I met an editor called Matt Hardy who came on board with Bet Noir and we reshaped it and it became a new book so it went from like a hundred issue thing down to six issues uh, and probably it was much the best. better for it yeah <laughs> oh that's amazing like did you have aspirations to write as a kid not to write um i always sort of liked reading i was always the sit in the corner reading a book type kid you know rubbish right. at sports you know um but never really never really thought i always thought it was going to be an artist like at school like i focused on art and you know all my art projects everyone else was you know doing still life and stuff. And I was, I remember for my GCSEs, 
um, I did like a, an Andy Warhol sort of uh, recreation of the cover of uh, Sword of Ale. It's like, okay. it's, cover, it's like a joke side of thing that jumps down. That was like it when I was, when I was a teenager. Oh, absolutely. And I did a, a whole recreation of that because I was convinced I was going to be a comic book artist. But then, um, like I said, I almost went to the States. In the end, I went and did animation in the UK. And that very quickly, I mean, it was, you know, pre-CGI and everything. And it, it very quickly, the, the act of simplifying things down and, and repeating them multiple times, very quickly, I lost any interest in that. And I moved over to sort of traditional filmmaking. Um, so that's when I sort of, you know, found the writing when I was working in that stuff. That's fascinating. It takes such a, a like a twisty road to get <laughs> to yeah. writing. Yeah, it's like an early midlife crisis, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, fun. It's 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 fun and, and very very slightly cheaper than a sports car. Oh my gosh! Yes, and also buying one pencil is much cheaper than buying like a whole array. Of colored pencils yeah. and like charcoals and pastels. I still, I still bought all that crap though. I like, I have a thing still like sitting in the back of my mind, like, oh, I'm not terrible. I could still do like sketches on the blanks and stuff. And I've got, I spent far too much money on like a little, um, like a wallet of Copic markers and things. Yeah. Which I probably have like opened the plastic on about three of them. So that was a complete waste of money. But um, yeah, it's much cheaper to just, uh, you know, open up pages or final draft and just uh, hammer out some stories until you've got to pay for it. Yeah. Man, so you have all this stuff and you have artistic ability, but you just you just don't feel moved to just even doodle in your spare time? No, I, um, I'm one of those people, like, if it's not perfect, I'll hit yeah. it 100%. So I'll look at something. It's kind of like, you know, doing these books, like, uh, you want to find the best people, and if you could sort of do something passably, it's better to just pay a professional that knows what they're doing to 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 make the thing good, you know. So, um, yeah, I, I've got no aspirations of drawing, you know, anything, <laughs> anything professionally. <laughs> but um, but may, maybe uh, you know, I suppose they're not going to keep. But you know, maybe when I'm old and retired, I'll pick it up and be a, <laughs> be a super late bloomer. <laughs> Who knows? There might might be a demand for terrible terrible artists. Hey, in, terrible in art is coming back in style. Now's the time. <laughs> I'm in. I'm gonna be rich. Hello there. My name is Don Cardenas, and I'm here to invite you to check out my podcast, the 2021 Grantee Award-winning Comics Coffee Medal, where I interview creatives in, around, and about the worlds of you guessed it, comics, coffee, and metal. I've already had such amazing guests on my show, including, but not limited to, Liana Kangas, Mike Norton, John O'Diener, Michael Conrad, Sophie Campbell, Guitar Max Carlisle, Andrew Baina, and of course, the word bros themselves, Bob and Kevin. Comics Coffee Metal is available on all the major podcast services, and you can find it directly at comicscoffeemetal.com. I hope to see you there, and now I return you to Into the Comics Cave with the amazing, awesome, talented, um... Tall, handsome, uh, what else did I say? Definitely over six feet tall, smells good like lavender and motorcycle grease. Is that right? Motorcycle grease? Alright. Grant Stoy. There, I said it. Get my money now. So, I, I got a scenario for you. 
you are uh, at the local farmer's market and you're trying to find uh, a very specific type of watermelon seed. And you're looking and you're looking and you come across this one booth run by uh, a very elderly woman. And she says, <laughs> of course, because that's how it works. Yeah. Uh, and she says, you look like you're looking for a special type of seed. And of course you say, yes, I am. And she yeah, offers you a seed in a large oak box. She says, if you plant okay. this seed, a tree will bloom in three days. In four days, it will start to bear fruit. But the okay. fruit are all babies. Infant human children. Would you plant this seed? That, um... That... That sounds like a terrible, terrible plant to plant. Um, I don't know. There are people out there that, as, as someone with young kids, you know, those those kids have to go somewhere. And, and there are people out there that desperately want kids. But I do not, as much as I love my kids, a tree full of kids. Um, so I don't think I'd plant it. Unless, unless I had a... I was going to say, this lady could just be a raving lunatic. Yeah, she could be a raving lunatic, but what is the... I mean, how quickly does the thing grow as well? Does it immediately uh, just punch up? Three days, supposed to grow three into days. a tree. Oh. You still got to wait three days. And what, you have to be in communication with this woman who could just be nuts for three days. I think I would move on. Um, <laughs> and maybe, you I don't know, you'd find... You quickly Google like the local sort of mental health professionals and call them up. <laughs> it's a nice hypothetical. Like maybe someone wants one of these babies, but I just think it's much more likely that it's just a lunatic running around. Keep her busy until the people in the white coats arrive. <laughs> I think that's the best thing to do for everyone involved. You get three days when it blooms, but the fourth day is the fruit. So if it blooms on the third day, you could say, this is insane, and you can cut it down before anything happens. That's a bit dark, though. I don't know, because <laughs> then, then then that's real sort of deep ethics dilemma of like, okay, oh well, she said it's going to grow babies. So it still might not grow babies, but, but yes, if I chop it down a dark now, moral but, quandary. Yeah, exactly. I think better off just cutting it, cutting it off at the root to to you know continue on your, your thing and just uh, assume she's nuts and every, you know, ignorance bliss they say in nature and go along your way find that watermelon seed that you've been you've been finding for yeah exactly i just you know get it from a reputable source get one where you can leave feedback you know you could probably get this stuff on uh, amazon get a, get a nice <laughs> i bet you can find a baby seed. tree seed on amazon you probably could whether you would uh it, what's that that a terrible wish you know where you oh, get gosh. water something and you get a terrible copy of it from china <laughs> I dread to think. it sounds like something you would get from wish it, it actually turns grows into a giant baby that produces trees yeah. it's a baby yeah it's like a giant baby that grows trees all over it or like that one out of the avengers where um who is it scarlet witch has babies for arms oh no it's oh the, my gosh the other guy isn't it that is from a, an old Avengers West Coast thing, isn't it? Is it Master Pandemonium? Is that the guy's name? Yes. It's like the guy and she puts the babies on his arms and he's like running around. 
I'm pretty sure it's Alan Davis who can't. Oh no, is it John Byrne? That's it. Sorry, I almost said a bad word about Alan Davis, which. Oh God forbid! No. Yeah, no, no, but John Byrne. Yeah, we can do that. Oh um, shit! Yeah, he definitely, he definitely, he definitely can't draw babies. He can draw a lot of stuff, and definitely uh, not babies for arms. This is a really stupid <laughs> tangent, but I actually have one Avengers West Coast comic. It's an annual, and they they talk about that that particular scene that you just mentioned. It's a oh, yeah? one-off, just panel mention of it. So that is hilarious that you mentioned that. I mean, you'd have to, really, wouldn't you? Like, if, if, if you lived in a world where someone you knew had had uh, had someone come at them with their babies on their arms, that would come up all the time, wouldn't it? You'd be talking to everyone on the bus. You'd be right hey. next to the, the old lady in the farmer's market with the baby seed saying, you will yeah, not. Yeah, well, we wouldn't. We'd be together in the mental hospital, you know, and they're going, yes, dear, yes, dear, we believe you. Good God. It'd be like, Matt, you'd be in a job interview, and they'd be like, what's the weirdest thing you've ever seen? And you'd have to think, like, well, it was this one time. Do I bring this up? Probably not. I imagine what would happen is you'd say, have you ever seen a person with baby arms? And they'd say, like, yeah, I'd say, no, no. <laughs> yeah, because that would be fine. That would be fine. No, you'd have to just sort of pivot and go, well, I, I had an egg with two yolks in it this morning. That was pretty crazy. <laughs> so, uh, that's weird. You're hired. Yeah. Oh, God, I thought it was going to be another one about baby arms. <laughs> Thank God for that. Everyone else today has been talking about baby treats. <laughs> okay, now I'm composed. Uh, Andrew, I'm about to hit you with five questions that we ask every guest that appears on the show. They're derived from James Lipton's Inside the Actor's Studio. Are you ready? Yes, I'm fully prepared. Number one, what is your favorite sequential art sound effect? I mean, I like, there's a lot of the classics, like Banff is good, and, you know, you've got Snicked and Flip and all that kind of stuff. I I like the stupid ones. Like, there's there's one, there's a pound, I don't know what it's from, and I'm I'm not entirely sure it's real, but there's a famous, there's one that gets shared a lot in, like, British, um, you know, groups, but um, there's a Captain America, and he's, I think it's, um, I think the character, it's an Iron Man baddie, is it the controller? He's got like discs that he puts on people. And anyway, it's Captain America and he's like throwing his shield at this guy. It's him in the face and it just says wank. Which <laughs> to, to us is probably funnier than it is to Americans, but it's, it's like this just giant wank on the front. So it just, it's like a meme thing that gets shared around. But it's, you know, other than that, there's, um, there's like, uh, what's another good one? Like boom. And something real, like someone's punched something really hard and it just goes, boom. Like, that's a real good, good sound. So I'll, I'll have two. I have a serious one and wank. Uh, how many O's are you going to put in Thum if it's in one of your books? I think it would be, uh, I think it, it would only, it would be two. Maybe three at a push. I think if it's too long, then it, it's sort of, uh, it's an awkward awkwardly long thing and you'd have people sitting around sort of 
Wow, this is taking a while. <laughs> so two two tombs, or maybe a K at the beginning, Cthum, like depending Ooh, on what's hit what. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work as well. Like, no, it doesn't work as well as Wank. That's but then they're two different um, effects. This, the other one I like is when like they shoot something or, or something hits metal and it says like, Pang. like this. Yeah. Pang. Like those ones I like as well. Oh yeah. Uh, and number two, what is something you love about sequential art? I like you can dwell on it. Double-edged sword from two different angles, but I, I like that you can turn a page and it's all timed and you can read them in different uh, different paces. You know, you could read it one way and you get one thing out of it. You can read it at another speed, you get another thing out of it. You can stop and, and take in a panel and you can, you know, quickly skip through a bunch of panels. Um, you know, if you're watching a film, that's dictated to you. Um, but, you know, there's, there's, I, I'm a very quick reader. Like, I, I speed read a lot of stuff. So I, I will be guilty of, you know, some art, poor artist has spent hours and hours drawing this thing and I'll read the whole book in a few minutes, you know, skimming through. And then you, mm-hmm. you, you stop on a page if there's something to take in or dialogue but you know uh, i i think that's cool that you can you can choose how how quick to read these things and you can you know different people will use different tricks to to make you dwell on certain things yeah absolutely uh, and on the other side of the coin what is something about sequential art that you dislike i i mean it's the the boring answer but it's the it's you know, boring, but like the the fandom that comes around comics in particular and media now, like, you know, years ago, we would, you know, hang around in comic shops and stuff and argue about X, Y, Z and all this kind of stuff. But now, I mean, there was a thread, I think, on Twitter today about like someone tagging off the new Spider-Man thing and it. You know they're relaunching this. Do they not understand Spider-Man? They must really hate Spider-Man and all this kind of stuff. Like, it's just unnecessary ownership of something which is just there for enjoyment. You know, there's a team. They've got lives. They get on. And Liam Sharp put a thing up today saying, you know, there are people behind these books. You know, like they put their heart and souls into it, and and you get these people that are sort of uh, angry because it doesn't go their way on social media. I think that's the the worst thing about it. I think if people could detach themselves see it as a piece of entertainment then everyone would be able to enjoy everything you know and, and you'd probably get different work because people would be worried about you know how people are going to take this and take that and stuff so i think i think sort of toxic fandom is the worst thing um, about the medium i think we get it worse than than anything else absolutely agree especially if you think about it, if they just let that stuff go you know they'd actually be happier too I don't know, like, I cannot engage with, I just don't have the time to engage with anything, really. And I don't understand how other people do. Like, it's just, yeah, yeah, I didn't like it, move on. Like, that's yeah. simple as that. You'll have a nicer day, and you'll probably enjoy the thing that you hate, you know, you, you say you don't like a bit more in the future. Yeah. Number three, I like asking this question of parents, because they usually have a standby. What is your favorite swear word that's not actually a swear word? I am um, not very good at stopping. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, I like swearing, 
okay. I, I find it quite therapeutic and I enjoy good, good usage of swear words. Um, so I have, I've had a few, not as many as some of my son's friends, but like, you know, there's been a few instances where he's repeated things. Um, there was one uh, time when he was younger, he loves Hot Wheels and things like that. And um, yeah. he was he was sort of going, and this is this car, and it, like all their names and the Lightning McQueens, all this kind of stuff. And he goes, that's that one, that's what, and that's that bloody white car that always parks in Dad's spot outside. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. He's picked that up. But luckily, he never picked up any of the real colourful ones, unlike some of his friends. But um, my my favourite, I think if I had to say my favourite swear word, which doesn't really count, again, I, I think calling someone a bellend is That's the absolute crazy. best. Yeah. And you, you, can feel, you can lean into it. It can be jovial. You can say, oh, you're such a bellend. Or you can say, you fucking bellend. Like, yes. It just means you're a bit of a dickhead. And it's the same, literally the same meaning as dickhead, Bellin. Um, but it's so specific to the UK. I've walked around in the States just saying it to everyone. No one gets what you're saying. So I think that's a fantastic, a fantastic swear word. I do, I have to say, I do like, and this is, this is, can, without context, it sounds terrible, but I like the C word for its impact. I don't like that people use it for that impact, but it's a lot of swear words have been watered down, you know, to the point where you could say it to your mum and dad pretty much, but that one, yeah. you're going to get, you're going to get clipped around the ear if you say that one to your mum and dad. So that oh, keeps absolutely. your impact. It was really, you know, if someone's crashing into the back of your car, you can drop that one. And it's it's like being slapped in the face with a word. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, it's, and again, it's weird. Like the, in the UK, and in particular, Australians use that one as a term of endearment. Like yeah. that's like, that's like you know saying, "Oh, you're right, mate. You're right, buddy." They drop that yeah. word, and uh, it's just so casual. But um, yeah, I think I think I, I'm a, I'm a fan of swearing, but you know you've got to use it in the right way. Oh, absolutely. We're all we're all fan, fans of swearing here around these parts. Starting. <laughs> um, but I I got some bad news for you. Oh no. So you are tooling around uh, in front of your house and you see uh, a penny roll into the street. You're really excited uh, because it's shining in the midday sun. You lean over to get it, and you look up to your left, and this bloody white car comes and rolls you right over. And, and I hate to say it, but you have died right there on the street underneath the wheels of this, this white car that's taking your Was spot. it the lady driving it as well? Because I didn't leave her at the flea market. Jeez. <laughs> The Black. odds of that are astronomical. I know, it's just <laughs> mental. But the good news is, you go to what we perceive as heaven. You get there, you're about to enter the pearly gates, and you look over to your side, and you see a very curmudgeonly older man sitting at a drafting table. He doesn't know whether to gnaw on his pencil or the cigar, and it's Jacob Kurtzberg, a.k.a. Jack Kirby, the, the grandfather of modern comics. What do you hope he says to you? I would, um, first of all, I'd ask why he wasn't inside the gates. Like, why, <laughs> why have they decided that he has to stay at the front? Because I'm pretty sure he wouldn't enjoy that. <laughs> I, I would just hope, like, I think he just, I'd wanted to ask, like, you know, did you enjoy yourself? Like, 
do what you wanted to do? Did you focus on the right things? And and um, I hope he agreed that, you know, the stuff I'd done was the right stuff, you know, that you'd, you'd focus on the right stuff. You produced stuff which was enjoyable. People enjoyed your work. You know, I, th I think I think that's that's what he 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 was a very, uh, you know, from what I've read, he was a very opinionated man. So I think he'd appreciate people who uh, stuck to their guns and got the stuff done that they wanted to do. Yeah, that's a beautiful sentiment. And Andrew, <laughs> thank you so much for joining me. Where can folks find you on the socials? Um, I. Uh, unless it all shuts down because it's been bought by the Tesla geezer um, <sighs> today. I'm on um, Twitter. That's just my name, at Andrew Clemson. That's the one I do. I have Instagram and all that kind of stuff. I don't do it well. I have kids. I have to sort of, <laughs> to sort of <laughs> do everything. Um, I sort of look at my phone, get angry for two minutes and turn it on, you know, throw it away again. <laughs> Um, so that one, that's, that's where I'll be shamelessly promoting Kickstarter for the next month. Um, I have a website, which is clemsoncomics.com. Again, I never update it, but um, <laughs> it's there. There's some stuff on it. <laughs> it's probably like two years out of date. But, um, you know, I will. That's my, that's, I, I have to do that this summer is update that thing. But the best thing is Twitter. That's just my name. And, and it's uh, funny that you mentioned uh, Kickstarter. Well, what you got going on? So in uh, two days from recording, in Wednesday, uh, the 27th of April, uh, we're doing the last two issues of Damsel from Distress, which is the, the first volume of Damsel from Distress, which is a sort of um, mashup, uh, uh, Man from Uncle James Bond meets Zelda, Dungeons and Dragons, all that kind of stuff. It's a sort of very light-hearted comedy uh, action book. Um, and it, it's done surprisingly well for the last few that we've put out. So we're hoping we can, um, we can ride that and fund uh, the last couple and get, you know, a nice, nice shiny little hardback version out sometime after this. Ooh. But first, we've got we've to gotta fund the singles and, you know, get the thing to exist. Um, but yeah, that will launch, that'll launch on the 27th, uh, which is two days from now. And it will run for about a month. Um, and uh, yeah, it'd be great if people could check it out. Um, we do have, we have another few issues of Bet Um We're sort of retooling that, um, that we were going to put on. So we're sort of retooling everything, getting more work done. And then that will go on that platform sort of in, in the near future. Right on. Well, dude, thank you again so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. This has been a Comic Book Yeti production. You can find new episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and anywhere podcasts stream. For more information on the Comic Book Yeti, please visit comicbookyeti.com. And for more of Grant, visit grantstoy.com or on Twitter at Grant and Stuff.
Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Galvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now